the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. And just like that, the Toronto Raptors are one win away from achieving history. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene, .tv network, and part of the Overtime Media crew. The Raptors took one on the road in Milwaukee, and they did it with style. Joining me tonight to talk about all things Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals is Jordan Kligman of the 416 Basketball Podcast. Jordan, serious question. Right now, is Kawhi Leonard the best basketball player in the world? Yes, I think I even said it on the the last episode (laughs) we did. Um, And I'm I'm not sure, like, why... Like, American media is, like, starting to ask the question now. Like, it was a legitimate question coming into the season. Like, everyone obviously had LeBron first, but then it's like, who's number two? And people just defaulted to Kevin Durant, and I didn't know why. But, like, Kevin Durant's really good. But, like, Kawhi Leonard is on that same spectrum, on that same level, and Kawhi's been better in these playoffs. Um, Now Durant is currently injured, but... I think Kawhi was doing better before Durant got injured. It's weird that when you rewind to the acquisition, or the trade rather, of Kawhi Leonard at the time, like a lot of people didn't, probably didn't realize how good that he could be. Um, I say that because I, I don't know that Toronto Raptors fans, for a person playing in their uniform, really understands how vital a guy like this, a superstar like this, could be to swing momentum in their favor in a playoff series. Um, having said that, there, there was you know all the issues that he went through with San Antonio last year, only played nine games. Behind the scenes, we'll probably never know what really happened. But you got to be happy with what you're seeing, and I think that's an obvious question, or obvious statement, rather. But I guess the question is, did you expect this level of talent from him in the playoffs? I don't want to say yes, but yes. Like, <laughs> I knew he was this good. I've seen him play in the playoffs before. Like, I remember that series against the Grizzlies where, like, him and Conley were just, like, going back and forth, like, robot versus robot. Like, I knew I knew what kind of level he brings his game to. And, like, I feel like he's maybe been a touch better than that, but it's still in that same realm. Like, he's still takes it to the to max like the higher than like really any player can really go um i'm 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 not i'm not shocked i'm just i'm kind of i guess i'm shocked it's happening in a raptors uniform because we've we've never seen a player uh do this in the playoffs before for the raptors and i think you mentioned in our last podcast that we're used to seeing our guys regress in the playoffs and we're, we haven't really seen guys elevate and Kawhi has elevated certainly to a crazy level it's interesting that you know we I just touched on last year and how he only played nine games I know that he's not in the running and I know that he's not in consideration for this but I think you could make a case and this is not to take anything away from Pascal Siakam that Kawhi Leonard may be the most improved player of the year, given the situation that happened last year. Obviously, he's not up for the for the award. Pascal Siakam made a huge jump, but you know, from 
the his pre Kawhi's previous playoff appearance against Golden State. Um, there's something to be said that this is maybe uh, some sort of retribution to reclaim the status of a superstar in the NBA. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I get what you're saying. I can't really get there with you on like a most improved thing because like I, I don't really want to count like injuries into the to, to factor in. It's like a lot of people during the regular season were like all all over like Derek Rose for most improved. It's like yeah, he was injured and like done for like so long. It's like now he's back to like a like a B minus level, whereas like yeah, like yeah, like I I. I don't know. Like, did we give like Paul George this award? Like when he when he came back from injury, like after like breaking his leg or whatever it was. Maybe the better award is comeback player of the year. Yeah, they should they they should have something like that. I think that would be cool. Um, All right. Well, having said that, uh, I mentioned this in the jump of the show. The Raptors took this one in Milwaukee. And I don't know how you felt in the beginning of the game, but it just felt like they were maybe preserving some things to prepare themselves for the fourth quarter. Um, The first quarter was very lazy. It was very sloppy. Um, Second quarter, they started to put their foot on the gas and they started to clean things up a little bit. But I think this is sort of familiar. There's only been a handful of games that the Raptors have been dominant from quarter one to quarter four. Um, Having said that, you got to be confident now, and you got to think that the momentum is switching to their favor um, heading into Toronto for Game 6. So um, I'll let you you know, just let loose on how you feel about this team going forward and you think that if they have a legitimate shot to get to the NBA Finals. They obviously have a shot to get to the NBA Finals. <laughs> I mean, like one game away, Milwaukee has to win two. But at the, at the same time, I, I feel like we need to get out and run – um, in this game six, like you can't you can't make Milwaukee feel like they're back in that se- back in the series by like they get like a double digit lead early, and then they're just like oh we have a shot. You can't let them think that way. You got to get in their heads mentally, um, and just step on their throat. And like if if we're up like so by a significant margin going in the fourth quarter. The Bucks might melt, and the Bucks have been good, like hanging in games and like battling back and forth. But if they if they get a sense that that like this series is just over, they could just mentally collapse. And I think that's that's what the Raptors got to do. They just got to come out firing in all cylinders and just put put the, the our our foot on their throats and just end it. I agree. My biggest fear when it comes to Game 6, is a repeat of Game 6 against Philadelphia. However, the difference between this Game 6 and the 76ers Game 6 is that this one will be in Toronto. So I think that the cards are set up nicely for the Raptors to take advantage of the situation. Um, I do fear that, you know, with Milwaukee, they seem to be a pretty aggressive team and a pretty emotional team. So if they're going to come out with their backs against the wall and they're going to come out thinking, like, it's do or die... I think this is going to be a little bit more difficult for the Raptors than the previous three wins in a row. Having said that, though, the you got to give Nick Nurse credit for the adjustments that he's made. And he's pretty much effectively outcoached Bud. 
Um, I don't think that I would have ever said that heading into this series. I always thought that, you know, probably on paper, Bud is the better coach if you want to look at, you know, everything in totality. But for this series in particular, you got to think that Nick Nurse has been doing a very, at least an adequate job of, you know, the rotations, managing the timeouts, everything. Um, he's been pretty much out coaching, Bud, I think. I. I guess I want like a lot of these games have been really close, but like the first two games when Kawhi wasn't guarding Giannis, I was super confused by that. Like it was an obvious thing and he waited until game three to do it. Obviously it's been a fantastic adjustment, but like, I remember like on my preview podcast of the the series, I'm just like, that's the most obvious thing. Like, mm-hmm. like who else can guard Giannis? Like, we don't really have anyone else. Um, I think the interesting thing for me is how much, like, Marcus Gasol's played. Uh, he, Marcus Gasol was, I think, really bad in the first two games, but he was really good in game three and four. Wasn't that great in game five, despite hitting a three late uh, in the fourth quarter, which was huge, and then he... Got fouled, split free throws, but yeah, I I I feel I still feel like Marcus Ol doesn't really work very well in this series because he like he I, I we need him to clo- close out on yeah. guys. Um, we got lucky that Brook Lopez only hit one three in this last game, but we saw we saw like was a game one where Brook Lopez went for twenty nine like. Yeah. The, the Bucks were missing a lot of shots in this series. Like three point variance is a thing. And like we're doubling Giannis at times where they're getting good looks. And like like a couple bounces another way, we could have lost. Like that's just the reality of how things go. I think a lot of people are putting unfair blame on Bud, but at the same time, like I don't I don't think he's been great, but like I there's not really a whole lot he can do. Like putting Brogdon into the starting lineup was definitely smart. because uh, Brogdon I think now is plus forty four on the series mm-hmm. and that's the the best plus minus of anyone in this series. Uh but like Miritich being unplayable, I don't think that's that's something like you could foresee as a coach. Like, that's just something you have to adjust. Because, like, Miritich in his career is a good three-point shooter. The fact that he's breaking everything, like, you, you can't anticipate that. No. Like, he's minus minus 37 for this series. He's just, he's just unplayable now. And that's, like, just an adjustment you have to make after the fact, realizing this guy can't play. Although he could, you never know, like a bounce back thing, like we've seen from Fred Van Fleet over these last two games, or he just suddenly gets hot. I guess that that could happen for Miritich. Like, it, you don't know, but like, I think going in, you just you don't know whether guys will be able to hit shots or not. Like, I kept thinking Danny Green was going to bat uh, bounce back with his shot in these playoffs. It hasn't happened. Yeah. So I got to take the L on that. I got to take the L. Because I had going into the series that the Bucks would win in six, I'm holding those L's. Like I got, I gotta own up to them. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's you're right. There's what else is he supposed to do when the players on the floor aren't performing? But at the same time, 
making these adjustments all the way until game five, that's a little late. Like, you're playing with fire at that point, especially with the series evened up. Um, I think when the Raptors won in double overtime, I would have made that switch right there. I would have had Brogdon in the starting lineup because, I, I mean, you could make the case, and it's probably the obvious one, that Middleton is or has been the second-best player for the Bucks. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards Brogdon. Brogdon has, you know, maybe not last night in Game 5, but Brogdon has been performing quite well for them off the bench. And, you know, when you have someone that just isn't living up to it in Miritich, it's kind of a no-brainer to switch them. However, having said that, we're sort of mirroring these situations with Danny Green performing probably worse than Miritich has been. Um, And a lot of people have been clamoring for Norman Powell to maybe step foot into the starting lineup. I get the impulse. I get that this is, you know, the knee-jerk reaction to put Danny Green out of his misery, but... I think there's something to be said to have Norman Powell come off the bench and not add that stability. Because if you're putting Norman Powell in the starting lineup and then you're putting Fred, I mean, not sorry, Danny Green in, you're going to, you know, fall into into victim of runs by the Bucks, I feel. And you're going to have that scoring taken away. Whereas if you have, you know, Norman Powell in the starting lineup with all these other scorers, like Siakam, Lowry, Gasol, and Kawhi, I don't think Norman Powell is going to be used to his potential or to his benefit. So I think there, there's no reason to mess with anything. And I think Nick Nurse is better off, unlike Bud, Nick Nurse is better off just leaving things alone. Yeah, like, we can't can't cut Danny Green out, out of the rotation. Like, you can't, you can't revert to now playing, like, seven guys. Like, we're, we're, right. at eight, we're at, like, eight guys. So he has to play. Like, his minutes have been cut. I think he only played like 15 minutes in that last game. So it's like he made like, that's the, the like it does. I feel like it doesn't matter. Like he, he, he did, he ran with the guys that were hot and that's what you do. And you know, Fred was hot and rolling. So he got the minutes. I mean, Danny green's only averaging four points a game. Like that's pretty bad. Like the attempts aren't really there for in terms of what you want to see from Danny Green beyond the arc. He's averaging three point eight three point attempts a game in this series. Um, I understand that you can't you know make specific plays just for Danny Green. That's not really how the Raptors operate. But I do feel that it is fair to point out that they're not really doing much to to leave him space or to get him open. However, on the flip side of that, the counter argument is when he is open, he's laying bricks like crazy. So I, I just don't know. I think that with a veteran like Danny Green, I don't think that this is getting to him. I don't think that this is making him shook at all. Um, I think he has that veteran, you know, fearlessness and, and leadership within him to sort of wipe the slate clean and go game by game. But... You know, when Nick Nurse pulls you and you're only playing 15 minutes, 15 and a half minutes rather, in game five, um, that's probably weighing on you just a little bit. So if anything, I kind of anticipate him being out for blood for game six and and to really make an impact to try to knock down his shots. At least I hope he does. Well, I think it really I still believe like if our offense is flowing well, the good shots will open up for him. And I think throughout these playoffs, just our offense hasn't flowed well. I think a lot of people probably didn't notice in this last game, the shots Fred was hitting, like the ball would kick out to him like later in the shot clock. And like he had to shoot like 
all these other guys are like, hey, I don't really want to shoot. I don't want to shoot. And Fred, all playoffs, he's been chucking and missing a lot. But in, in like his mentality has stayed the same. He's like, I'll shoot. You want to give me the ball? I'll shoot. And that's and they're finally going in for him. Um, I'm hoping the mentality stays the same with Danny Green that he's still willing to to shoot. Um, I think was it the previous game where he attacked the basket and got a couple baskets that way? Um, yeah, I guess he can try that again, but. I don't think that's his game. Not really, but like the, it's not something like the Bucks expect. So I feel like hmm. I feel like he can catch them a couple of times because they're going to probably put like a, a lesser guy on him or something, and he can just exploit that a little bit. But yeah, he Danny, Danny Green, I think, was one of the best corner shoot uh, corner three point shooters in the league this year. I think. It was like him and PJ Tucker were like the best guys from the corner. Um, so you you have to feel like like Danny's gonna start hitting them. Um, like I'm I'm going down with the ship on this one. Like it, it has to happen at some point. It, you don't just lose it. Like yeah, shoot or shoot, they'll eventually go in. You touched on Fred VanVleet, and it's really nice to see him play like the. Uh potential or the runner-up or whatever the, the in the list of six man of the year from last year um he's been playing quite well and i think it's safe to say that the so far the most valuable person for this playoff run is fled fred van vliet jr because i don't know what it is about him having a son but something about it made his cares go away and the stress of the situation just evaporate and he's been playing very well and not only does this do wonders for him it really gives kyle lowry an opportunity to preserve himself and he's not nearly as relied on to be on the floor at the same time now i know fred van vliet isn't the playmaker that kyle lowry is fred van vliet's more of a, of a scorer compared to kyle lowry or you know in terms of what he can do he can't really make up and set up the plays like kyle lowry can but having said that, if you have Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard on the floor at the same time, sort of mitigates that loss. So if anything, Fred VanVleet, not only is it boosting his confidence, but it is giving Kyle Lowry some valuable rest time. Yeah, I think what was interesting about this game is Fred wasn't asked to be the, the playmaker. Like Kawhi was the playmaker right. uh, with when Fred was in. Like Kawhi had nine assists, and I believe all his assists were threes. Like that's tw- that's 27 points created. Um, and Fred was benefiting from that, not being forced to be that guy, not being that lead playmaker that he could just play off the ball. And that's his game, just getting open and getting shots up, uh, like catch and shoot. And it, it was working in this one. And I think um, the having a kid thing, I feel like that actually plays in a little bit because like he was mentioning like how he didn't get a lot of sleep and when you don't sleep, you can't think as much. So I think he is probably less in his head that mm-hmm. he you, you, that he didn't have time to think uh, in the game and just just was playing in the moment and could just play basketball. Um, so I think that potentially actually could have helped him because I think he was probably just thinking too hard uh, in other games where he was struggling in these playoffs that it probably got into his head a little bit, but he couldn't be in his head because he didn't get enough sleep. So he was just playing basketball. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, it, it's for sure. Um, I think that with him, the I mean, I'm sure he's mentioned it out loud. He said, I, I see the criticisms online. I see what is said about me in my play and how poor it's been. And I'm not blind to it. I'm not going to hide from it either, which is admirable in and of itself. But I'm sure, like, you know, any other individual on the face of the planet, if people correctly in some cases, like, I don't want to push it too much, but there was a moment, at least within maybe game four, that I was like, Fred Van Vliet is totally unplayable right now, and you can't get any worse by putting Jeremy Lin in. You just can't get any worse than this. So if you're reading that or if you're hearing that or you're seeing that, I, I think it's fair that you're just like, no, no, that's I can't be playing that bad. And so there is there is a, an aspect of sort of encouragement to perform better, especially on this big stage. Like Fred hasn't been the best of playoff performers in his short career, but he's certainly making an impact in the games that matter. And this is the type of performance that is vital for the Raptors to be successful and to be able to close out this series. Absolutely. I think a lot of people were advocating for the Jeremy Lin switch. I didn't because I guess I'm biased. Like I was against Jeremy Lin getting playoff minutes like the moment we signed him. <laughs> I didn't even have to see him play bad in the regular season for us. I'm just I just I just know what Jeremy Lin is at this level and somehow he he was worse than I expected yeah. um, when he had a Raptors jersey on. So, yeah, I was never going to go there, but I think that's just because I'm biased. But I think a lot of the fan base was advocating for that switch. Like, how much worse can Lynn be than Van Fleet? Because Van Fleet was just missing everything, and Van Fleet, like, wasn't even really good defensively. Uh, but I believe in this in this series, Van Fleet is now our highest plus minus player at plus twenty seven. Mm-hmm. I think it had to do though with the purely with this. I think game five where he was plus twenty eight, so that's gonna that's gonna skew it. But I'm still I'm still a stat. Yeah. Like I don't I don't care that it got skewed. We don't win this game without him. And like I'm skew the stats. I'm on board with that because. <laughs> Like it's it's massive. Like who else was gonna step up and hit those shots if not for him? Reliably, too. I don't know who. Yeah, I don't know who. Like there was nobody else. It had to be him. I mean, Norman Powell has been playing quite well too, but I think Fred VanVleet definitely took advantage of the moment. And I think now it'd be really funny if tomorrow, uh, for Game Six, he walks out with Senior. At the end of his name, I just think that'd be hilarious because, like, he's certainly living up to that right now, and this is something that might excite him, and he can be like, "Hey, this is this is what your dad was doing the day you were born. I was just fucking knocking down shots like no tomorrow." So I think, like, having said that, there is this sort of sense of pride and this sense of you know uh, need to accomplish the moment, especially in a big playoff game. So I think that if this is able to continue. Milwaukee stands no chance, and that's sort of what I want to get into next. Like, what do they have to do now? Or is this what what we're seeing from Milwaukee? That's it. That's the best they got. Because if that's the case, there's no stopping Kawhi Leonard. The only thing that I'm reading or, you know, rumor reading on Twitter or online is that they might employ Giannis to play 48 minutes. And if that's the case, Milwaukee's not winning this game. 
because he's going to get into early foul trouble guarding Kawhi. He's going to get gas guarding Kawhi or vice versa with Kawhi guarding him. That is not a recipe for success. So I sort of welcome that and invite that. But other than that, how do you paint this for Milwaukee to have at least a shot at winning game six? Play George Hill with good players. Because like George Hill, I think what people don't know is that he's shooting, I think, 55, 50, and 92 for this series. Hmm. He's still minus 27, though, because he's just with bad lineups. But, like, you put him in a good lineup, um, and he's probably the guy we leave open, and he, he can he's shown he can burn us in this series. That wasn't really a good answer. Like, I don't... I, <laughs> Like also, because there is no good answer, man. <laughs> yeah, like Middleton has not been good in this series. He did have a thirty-point game, but like he's minus sixteen for this series. I think he didn't shoot well in this last game. I think he only had six points or something like that. Yeah, he had. I think though he rebounded well, but yeah, like the, the, all the analytics people loved Middleton. I remember when they used to always rank him above DeRozan, yeah. and like, oh yeah. Uh, and like I think I saw this season where people are saying Milton was better than Jimmy Butler, and like he got the <laughs> well, he did get the All Star nod over Jimmy Butler. I know the the league probably uh, probably blackballed Jimmy Butler for the shit he pulled uh, at the start of the season, uh, demanding a trade from the Timberwolves and getting out from there. Um, but yeah, like Chris Middleton. He he's he's not a he's not a legit all star. I'm sorry. He's like a fringe all star. He's a good third option, but like the Bucks are like, we got to make him a second option, and I don't think it's really worked out for them. No, no. And look, the only the only way I do see them taking this one in in Game Six is if they really really prioritize their transition uh, offense i think they've with with the bucks in transition they're tough to stop you know you have especially Giannis, like a freight train coming down he's hard to catch up to and he's hard to to beat there and he's hard to stop there so i mean you can't win games that way though there's only so many times that you're able to run out in transition like that i think with with toronto they're Defense has been so sticky and so they're like just gnats, man. They, they're just right up on their, their defender, and, and it's awesome. It's really a breath of fresh air to see because we always talk about how, or maybe not we, but the, the narrative out there is that Nick Nurse is this offensive-minded coach, but he's really doing a good job emphasizing the defense on this team. And I think that's something that's been overlooked. And if the, the Raptors can continue to play this style of defense, this aggressive in-your-face defense, not let down and not jump on these pump fakes or let players like Eric Bledsoe and Giannis shoot from the outside, allow them to, because they're going to miss more often than not. I don't see how Toronto's going to lose this game, especially at home. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. But you talk about the Raptors defense, which ha- which has been great, like I agree. But I think what people are overlooking a little bit, like people, I've seen all the slander for Giannis. It's crazy. Like, he's still been very good. Like, I get, like, his numbers are down because Kawhi is guarding him. But 
like defensively, he's been very good. Like he is not letting Siakam get to the rim. Like we see when there's a massive difference uh, when Giannis checks out of the game, the C parts and like, there's that lane for Siakam to get to the rim. When Giannis is in the game, that doesn't exist. He is not getting to the rim. So I think, I I think (laughs) there's great defense on both sides. And I think what's, what's ultimately going to happen is it's going to come down to shooting. We've seen the Bucks struggle shoot the to shoot the ball in the series. We've seen the Raptors struggle to shoot the ball in these playoffs. I I feel like it could it could go either way really. It's just like this three point variance um is is one of the things I really dislike about the NBA now because like even a good three point shooting team, they're gonna have off nights where they're shooting like twenty or twenty five percent from three. And then, like, when they're hot, there's, like, a game where they're shooting, like, 45 or 50% from three. That swings everything. Yeah. And, like, I I don't know, ultimately, which team is better, whether it's us or the Bucks. But with a variance thing like that, it doesn't tell you which team is better. It's just, it's kind, it's kind of just, I, I dare I say, fluke sometimes, hmm. that just some guys are on and some guys aren't. Like it's like I I get that the 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 NBA uh, with all this three point shooting is visually more appealing. Like the Warriors made like the NBA a better watch. They really did with um with the the pace and space and the small ball stretch four and all that stuff. Um, I I just feel like there's there's so much left up to chance, and I feel like. Unless we see like a sheer dominance out of either us or the Bucks, you can't. It's it's hard to make a conclusion. It just it's hard. I think there's a lot in play here for Game Six, and uh, as I said in the beginning, I don't. My biggest fear walking into this is that the Raptors are going to be pretty relaxed, right? They're going to play with not the sense of urgency that they go, they're going to need to play in order to be successful for this game, but. I mean, you touched on the Warriors, so they're waiting for whoever walks out of this Eastern Conference Finals. And should it be the Raptors, do they have a chance at all? I would, I would never put any money on the Raptors against the Warriors in the Finals. But of course, there's a chance. All right, is there a good chance? You know, like Kevin Durant's <laughs> no. not playing for at least the first yeah, no, two. No. All right, so no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't get there. Like I think a lot of people want to talk themselves in now just because they're on a high from how the Raptors, you know, have, have won three straight. You kind of I think people are getting caught uh getting swept up in the moment a little bit, but you know, go, going into this season on paper, I thought we had the second second best team in the league and I thought the Warriors were the best, like by far. Um, now, as you mentioned, yeah, the, the Warriors are going to be missing Durant for like at least a game, probably more. Um, I just feel like they're a different animal. They're, they're, a di- they're a different animal. You can't you can't play them like anybody else. Like right. we we we've seen even in the regular season. Um, I think last year 
we had like these like double digit leads on them and they just came right back in one with like within the final two minutes. I think I'm not sure if that happened in both games last year. It definitely happened in at least one this year. We obviously beat them both times, but they can come right back from anything. Like it, it, it it's crazy. Like they turn, they turn a switch and it's like, I'm sorry. It's like, no, you're not beating us tonight. Like they can do that. Um, so I, I just think they're just at another level. Um, I do think that Kawhi could be the best player in that series. I think that's a very likely scenario, but I don't, I don't think that's enough. Like we've seen, we've seen like how much we've needed to rely on Kawhi through the Philly series and like barely escaping that. Like now it's like the Warriors, like we're going to need so much more. And, I, I just can't get there. When you have a guy probably like uh, Draymond Green being the primary defender against Kawhi, that's what I would anticipate if this were to happen. Um, that is a huge step up from a Ben Simmons guarding Kawhi or Middleton or Brogdon guarding Kawhi. Like I, I do think that I don't by any means think that he'll be neutralized, but I don't know that he's going to be able to assert his dominance on uh, a Draymond Green as much as he has been throughout this entire playoff series. So in that respect, I do tend to agree with you that I don't think that the Raptors would theoretically win a seven-game series against Golden State, but by no means do I think it'd be a sweep. Yeah, I think we could get one. (laughs) Okay, Um, that's fine. Um, but I think the the weird thing with Draymond, uh, Draymond gets elevated by like trash talk and just going back and forth with a guy. And Kawhi isn't gonna do that. Kawhi is just silent. Like you're not gonna get, you're not gonna bait him into a like getting into a thing with Draymond. Draymond is just gonna like stay like even keel. And he is not. Draymond is not good even keel. He needs to elevate. Like just get pumped up. And I I wonder like if Draymond just might not be as good just because Kawhi is just going to not say anything to yeah. him. No, it's a good point. He loves the the interaction. I don't know. I just think that in terms of pure defensive ability, I think Green is the best. Assuming we get there, Green would be yeah. the best defender, right? And so like th- that yeah, would definitely sure. uh, present a challenge for Kawhi. I don't necessarily think that he wouldn't be able to overcome it. I mean, from what we've been seeing from Kawhi Leonard, he's been outstanding, just outstanding. And I wouldn't put anything past him in terms of ability. If if anyone says, I don't know, for, if anyone told me for sure Kawhi Leonard can't play against Draymond Green, I'd say you're out of your mind. Like, the way he's playing right now, it's on a completely new level. So... Having said that, I do think that this foresight is fun. I think that is interesting because, you know, and this leads me to the final topic. We've never been here before. Like, yes, we've played a game six in the Eastern Conference Finals, but I do think there was a sense among every single Raptors fan that there was no realistic chance that we were going to go to the finals. There just wasn't. You had the LeBron wall in front of you, and that was the team with Kyrie Irving on it too. So I, I don't think that anybody thought there was a realistic shot that the Raptors were going to get to the finals at that point. This is a completely different animal. Now we're up, which is, you know, sort of, it's advantage Raptors for sure. But there's a sense of 
I don't know, victory already, that it's it's right there. It's it's ours for the taking because you're right. It's only one game, one game that we need to take, just one. So when it comes to Raptors fans, this is outrageously significant. I think that is obvious. But, you know, with your finger on the pulse with everybody in the city, is, like, Raptors fever super high right now? Or is it still that sort of third-tier team behind the Blue Jays and the Leafs? Uh, I don't think we've been behind the Jays for, like, a long time. I'm so- I'm saying like in terms of like priority like yeah at their peaks you know what I mean oh, like does this okay. does this match the Jays at their oh peak? I never really saw the Jays at their peak um, well 2015 eh, that was a lot of bandwagon fans honestly yeah it's true <laughs> I got a lot of people are just like ooh Jays game I guess uh, playoffs I guess I'll go like I haven't seen right. that hasn't been available for a long time but um. I, I honestly think like the Raptors are now going toe to toe with like the Leafs in terms of fans. The only thing I'm concerned here is like when the Raptors finally decide to rebuild, will we lose bandwagon fans? Like, because I'm sure there's a lot in the Raptors fan base. Um, like we we saw this we saw this last year. Where mm-hmm. we we all talked ourselves into that the Raptors had a chance to make the finals last year. Um, a lot of people jumped off uh, after the, the sweep. Um, you know, everyone everyone's back in now, and the, I think now this is real. Uh, like Kawhi Leonard is real. He's he's as real as it gets to being this superstar talent that we've never seen before. Uh, so the, the, obviously the Raptors chances are better than they've ever been. I think, I think fan, fandom is crazy. I, you can, and you can tell by the price of the tickets. Like you look at the, the ticket prices to like uh, game six. Now I think like the cheapest is like six, 700 bucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, that, and like for finals, I, I was like, uh, before I heard that, I'm like, oh, the finals at minimum is going to be a thousand. Now, I'm, now I'm thinking like secondary market that this shit's going to be like two thousand, for like especially the, like game one, yeah. <laughs> just because like, uh, it, it's a supply and demand thing. Like, there's just so much demand that the fan base has grown so much. Um, I, I, I think, I think it's it's right, right there. With the Leafs, if not surpass that, I think with the Leafs, a lot of people just feel like deep down it's just it's not gonna happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I don't know. I just I always get that sense that it's just like uh, they like to start seasons like this is our year, and then like so many like seasons are just bad teams, and it's like oh no, don't don't worry, it's the next season, it's next season. Uh, with the Raptors, I feel like people don't really do that. The, like they, they come in super pessimistic about our team. Um, and then after seeing like how good we've been in the regular season, that's when uh, the, the fans are like, Oh, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's beyond like the, that bandwagon. It's like, this is real. This is the overtime podcast network. Well, it should be interesting. I do anticipate a pretty lively crowd. Uh, tomorrow night for game six i do hope that they arrive earlier than they have been because what i've noticed at the start of games 
like for the anthems or whatever it's just empty seats man and i know transit isn't is an issue like there there it's it's a big city so like it's very low to traffic foot traffic whatever just do your best to get there early just get there early for this game because you see people in jurassic park just crowding that shit way before and they there's no excuse there i i hope that there's the sense of quote-unquote Toronto Loud that was, you know, present during the 2015 and 16 playoff runs that we can see uh, in this Eastern Conference Finals game because this could be literally a Toronto Raptors history-making moment tomorrow. Um, And I do think that it speaks a lot for the efforts of Masai Ujiri if they were to win tomorrow night heading into the NBA Finals because if it hasn't been proven already to people— you got to believe that the move to acquire a Kawhi Leonard, despite the, the looming free agency, it is completely vindicated. And he has earned the right to say, yes, that, like, objectively, this was the correct move to make, period. I think, I think that was just obvious at the time, uh, you know, talent-wise. Um, but then, you know, seeing it in action, I think it's great. Um, I have a question for you. So if, sure. we're, if we're facing the Warriors in the finals um, and Durant is out, who is Kawhi Leonard guarding? I would. I'm leaning Clay because I think he's a more physical player than Curry, and I think maybe he's not equally as dangerous. Like Curry is pretty clutch, but if Clay's on, that's deadly in and of itself. So you you want to eliminate one of the two. Or try to neutralize one of the two as best as possible. And if you're going to put Kawhi on one, you want to put him on the more physical one to sort of, you know, balance that out. Would you agree? I don't know. Like, I feel like if you lock up Steph, I don't know if the Warriors can win without Durant. Like, I know I was saying I don't think the Raptors really have a chance in in the series, like, because I honestly don't think you can take away Kawhi, or sorry, take away Steph for like multiple games. But if you take him away for like a single game, can Clay? Does like Clay need to score fifty? Like I know like Cousins might be coming back, but I feel like that now becomes a perfect matchup for Marcus Sol. Like I think Marcus Sol would be built to right. like guard Demarcus Cousins. I feel like the finally that like uh, uh, here's another series where it works. So I feel like in the current series. Um, he's not good against Lopez. Like he was good against the uh, Vucevic, who didn't really want to stretch out in that series, and and Bede, who isn't really a great three point shooter, despite hitting some threes in that series. Like you let him shoot them, uh, but like with with Lopez, like his ability to s- stretch out kind of changes the dynamic there. But with with Cousins. Cousins isn't going to stretch out on the Warriors. No, he's, he's going to play. He's going to play inside, and I think. I think Mark Sol can lock him up. Um, so I, I it, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. Um, well, all right. So, like, who who would definitely start? So the three candidates to start for sure are Clay, Green, and Curry. Are they trotting out McKinney in that instance? Like, I don't know. Is Iguodala starting? It's sort of been fluid after those three. So unless Boogie's available. I don't even know if Boogie's available. Would he definitely start? I don't think they should start him. I feel like he's messed with their their chemistry when they tried um, tried using him this season. But they definitely could use him off the bench. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, because Iguodala also has, like, a, I think, injury question marks. So, I don't know what they what they would do. But it's an interesting matchup. But like, I don't know if Jordan Bell would start at that point. It, it is interesting, but it, it, I don't know. I think, I think the smart money would be Kawhi on Thompson because can, all right. So can Kawhi keep up with Curry off ball? I don't know. Like, I think Kyle could. Ugh, I don't think so. No. Do you think Danny could? Probably, probably not. No. All right. <laughs> like, like, I'm just la- saying, just keep up with them. Like Lowry is not fast. Lowry is just this this brick wall in the middle of the court that doesn't allow you to drive on him um, Mm. because he drives those charges. But like that, the reason why we don't put Lowry on point guards is like he can't chase them around. He can't zigzag with them. Like like point guards that are going horizontally across across the court, like that's not his thing. He's good against the vertical players, the guys that are trying to attack. yeah, maybe it would be would be Danny guarding Steph, but then, but then is like the trust back instilled with Danny at that point? I, he's I have no issues a lot with of him. Minutes? I have no issue with him defensively. None. Yeah, but but then let's like if 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 he's the primary guard uh, guy guarding Steph, is he now back to playing the starters minutes again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Unless Norman Powell can show up defensively, which he. I think he can. I don't think he'd be do as well of a of a job as Danny Green could against Curry, but I think Norman Powell could at least hold the hold the line until Green is ready to get back in. Yeah, it's it's, it's question marks. Like the the Warriors and like Steph are they're just that good that it's like these kinds of these kinds of things just like destroy my brain thinking about it. Yeah. And not only are they that good, they're they're super deep, like super deep. I want to say in in one of the games in the playoff, they they trotted out maybe ten or eleven or maybe even more. I don't know, but they you think Milwaukee's deep, guys? <laughs> Golden State has a lot in their arsenal, and two of them aren't even healthy yet. So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they you know unleash the Hounds on the Raptors because the Raptors you gotta believe that they're only gonna run out eight no matter what. Like yeah, like max. Kevon Looney, he's he's a killer. Yeah, yeah. This is the Raptors we're talking about. So <laughs> <laughs> those those random players will definitely earn their right to be a Raptors killer. But all right, having said that, moving on to Game Six again. Who do you got winning this? Putting you on the hot spot. Good. I think we we have to win this game six to win the series. <laughs> I, I, somehow, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Somehow, it, this, if if we lose this game, I think Milwaukee's gonna win that game seven. So I think okay. we, I think we got to do it. We got to do it now. So saying that we need to to win this game to win the series, I'm gonna say with the I'm gonna say the Raptors win because we need it. We need it. Yeah. Like I I think I think they also know they need it. Like I think it was like a couple weeks ago. Was it? Is it like? In the, in the Philly series where the, everyone was calling the Raptors soft in like the U.S. media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've been so we've been so like resilient since then, and like like they I think they're calling us soft after being down two zero to the Bucks, and like our ability to, to bounce back is good, but like we gotta close now. Like it, it's gotta happen now, and I I think. Like that, the closing killer mentality that like don't give up an inch. That's Kawhi Leonard, and I think 
him leading by example is going to get everyone else to follow that, follow that energy. Having this game at home is huge because by no means do you want to go back to Milwaukee in that environment to try to win a game seven. Um, I, I, they have to. You're right. And we say this every single, it seems like we've been saying this every single playoff games, that these are must-win games, must-win games. Um, and tomorrow night, game six is no different. It's a must-win game, obviously, to move on to the finals. Um, just for the you know sake of saying that the Toronto Raptors made the NBA finals and to sort of alleviate the pressure of whether or not Kawhi Leonard's going to go on the minds of fans, like having that finals appearance seemed to have been like behind the locked door to make it happen. So having said all this, I do th- think that they have confident. I sorry. I am confident that they can overcome the challenge and achieve victory for game six. I just hope that they're not performing like they did in game six against Philly. They need to come out with intensity. They need to be physical and they need to do that from the jump. They can't allow Milwaukee to have any sense of momentum. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to I'm going to put my chips in the bag and say Raptors got this in six. And I don't think that anybody, well, there were some, but I, I don't know that a lot of people rather had uh, Raptors taking this one in six games. It's pretty outstanding. I, I think there's a lot at stake. There's a lot, like the, the Kawhi potentially staying, I think that's at stake as well. I think... If we make the finals, I think I said on your podcast um, in the off season, I think I said if we don't make the finals, we have a 0% chance of keeping him. And I said if we make the finals, it's something like a 5% chance. I th- I'm, I'm, I'm going higher than that now. Um, I still think we need probably need to make the finals to pitch him and have a chance at keeping him. But I feel like, I don't know, like maybe is it like, 15 20% chance now. Like I think you're that pessimistic about it. Well, I I think I'm being realistic about it. Like he didn't he didn't choose to come here. Like the all the the negativity we we heard from like US media what what his camp like didn't didn't want to report or wasn't going to report or didn't want to play here. I think I think we're writing that all off as is false and it it was false but i think there was some truth that he probably didn't want to didn't want to come here uh he was traded here he played here i think i think he's enjoyed it a lot more than he thought he would but i still think like if like if he wants to go back home to la like that was his plan the whole time i think <laughs> I think it's going to be hard to overcome. Um, I think our, our, our really our, our greatest pitch is winning, being able to win and getting to the final, showing him that we have a shot with him to win a title. I think that's, that's the, just the greatest pitch we could possibly have. But I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I still don't think that that makes us the favorite to keep him. But I, th- I think, I think it would, it would be, a great pitch, though. I think that when you examine what's over on the West Coast, um, if it's not Golden State, right, I don't see why he would desire to go to the Clippers or the Lakers. With all the shit that is going down in the Lakers' front office, you know, all the turmoil, the lack of uh, structure there, 
it doesn't seem like a place where he would like to be. And it also seems that they wouldn't prioritize his health the way that the Raptors have, right? And if you're looking at the Clippers, unless these rumors that they're seriously pursuing Kevin Durant are, is true, and even if that is true, and even if they land him, I, I, I just have this feeling that he doesn't want to play with Durant. Like, he doesn't want to be second fiddle to someone. And if Durant doesn't go there, um, I, I just don't see how he could think he has a legitimate shot of winning there. Right? So if you're not talking Golden State, unless Sacramento comes as this dark horse team, I can't see a, a reasonable explanation as to why he would go other than I just want to be home. And if he is prioritizing I just want to be home, that means he doesn't prioritize winning. Right? And it, it, that seems to run counter to everything he's been saying about the top two things that I care about the most are winning and taking care of my health to play for as long as possible, right? And so I, I just don't see a situation in which those teams can give him all of that unless it's Golden State. But like I said, it doesn't seem like he wants to play second fiddle to anybody. So I don't understand why everyone's assuming that. You know, I understand the home aspect, but to me, intellectually, those teams just don't fit with what he wants. I feel like he probably believes he can win anywhere. Um, now, saying that, like, obviously, like, if we show we can get to the finals, like, it's like, oh, wait. Like, yeah, like, maybe this is a better team for me to play on. But at the same time, yeah, I was just thinking if I'm him, I don't know if I commit to the Raptors long term because, like, if we look at the summer of 2020, like, the only guy beyond that signed to a contract is Norman Powell. So I think the, the team is going to break up in a year. Like if he stays, I think that the, the idea, one. yeah, that's, yeah. that's what he like. That's what, if I was him, that's what I would do. Um, I'd stay with the Raptors for one more year. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he just, just wants to be relaxed and sign his long-term deal now and just so he doesn't have to think about it anymore. But I think, I think still think the Clippers um, have the best odds at landing him. I don't think the Lakers are really in the conversation. I have definitely put us ahead of, ahead of the Lakers. There's no way he'd want to play in LeBron's shadow and deal with the media scrum. That's just like torpedoed the Lakers. Like every misstep they've amplified on the Lakers this se- this season. Right. There's no way he'd want to want to deal with that stuff. Um, so I don't really see the Lakers as a real possibility. Uh, and I think Woj was saying like it's a two horse race for Kawhi. It's, it's between the Clippers and us. And I I don't know. <laughs> we got we got to get to the finals. I think I think to have a real pitch. Right. Um, you know, and if he were able to do the one and one, I think that in and of itself would open a lot of things up for Toronto. Like, if that is legitimately what he wanted to do, I would then go to Pascal and be like, "We're extending you, hardcore." Yeah, I think, I think like, the, we're, the, we're, we're giving. I think you. the Raptors are going to try, try and extend Pascal Siakam no matter what. I, think I see. I don't know. I don't if if they if Kawhi's like, "Yo, I'll stay on a on a max." I don't know that they can afford it. Well, the the uh, the extension. Um, for Siakam would kick in like the following year, so you could. It's like a future problem. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about this before. It's like, yeah, that's it's future yeah, Raptors future problem. problems. Uh, um, 
I also think if Kawhi is staying and like it like it shows like in the finals or something that the Warriors are just like hands down better than us, that it's like, are we gonna make that next move? Try and bring in another superstar, and it's like, then do we trade Siakam? And I think, like, if Kawhi Kawhi's staying, that's a real question. It's like, if he, and especially if it comes from him, if he's like saying, "I'll stay, get me Anthony Davis," I don't think the Raptors are going to say no. We're not going to try and do that. I think the rap if he if that comes out of Kawhi's mouth, I think the Raptors have to try and do it. Yeah, but I I just. <laughs> I don't know that if I'm Masai, I'm making that move. I I think I, I'm leaning towards Siakam is a big reason why he would stay. Well, I think Siakam is like the long term play, but I don't. Again, I don't see Ka- Kawhi wanting to stay here beyond one more season, and then. If it's one more season and you get Anthony Davis for one season, I get that it would be a disaster if they both leave after that. But I think I, I think if we got Anthony Davis, um, and I've been back and forth on this one, so like come come at me because I think I was like, uh, what was it at the trade deadline? I'm just like, we got to go for Anthony Davis, and then 100%. like af- after the trade deadline, I was like. I don't think I want to go for Anthony Davis now because Siakam <laughs> was playing so well. But now I'm just like, how do how would we like if Kawhi is staying um, for like one more season? It's like, how do we beat the Warriors? It, like it, like how do you do it? Like it's not gonna. Come, I don't think it's gonna enough is gonna come through within. And some guy, guys like Abaka, Marcus Gasol, and Kyle Lowry are only gonna get a year older. So it's not it, the 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 there's. Like there could be decline from those guys, whereas like yeah, Siakam could get better. OG, I think definitely could get better. But like we need, I think there's going to be this need for another superstar if if Kawhi's back and we want to be competitive, we want to contend, and we want to compete for a title. I I, I think that like I think this this is all hypothetical, and I don't think it's it's any of it's realistic. But I think at that point, if you're competing for a title, bringing in Anthony Davis, I think would then make us the favorite. 100%. I think we'd be hands down the best team in the league. But you're also assuming that Clay's going to stay. You're also assuming that Kevin Durant would stay. The Golden State Warriors could look completely different next oh, year. It sounds like Durant is gone, but uh, I think like nobody's really thinking Clay's going to leave at this point. But. Um, Man, the Warriors are good without Durant. I, I don't want to be one of the go- those guys saying they don't need Durant or they're better without him. But they're a damn. They were a, they were a seventy three win team prior to getting Durant. Yeah. Like we, we can't forget about how good they were and how good they were. Like I get like they like everyone's like, oh the like shitty Blazers they swept. Who cares? Man, the Blazers—they were good. They—they they showed up. They showed up in these playoffs. Yeah. So you you got to give credit, credit to that. People thought like the Blazers were going to lose in the first round. They won two series. They were battling. Um, I still think like Durant leaves. It's just like the Warriors, especially if the Warriors win the finals this year, which I think they're going to. I think they—they're going to go into next season with with the the Vegas odds of them being the favorite. 
It's going to be interesting, man. There's a lot of things that come into play. Like the 2020 uh, free agency looks pretty good, too. I want to say Giannis is a free agent, too. And I, I don't want to, you know, dip my toes into that uh, tub quite yet. But Giannis and uh, Masai have a nice little relationship. So, you know, maybe Masai's like, yo, hold up for a year. We're going to keep Pascal, hold up for a year, and then we can have the three of you on this team. Obviously, that's like a dream. That that probably won't happen. But still, that it's just these things aren't impossible anymore. The whole aspect of getting Kawhi Leonard, you said it last year on the roundtable when we got eliminated by the Cavs. said so it's not out of the realm of possibility to get Kawhi Leonard. Everybody laughed at you. Look where we are, and look who we have. So it is it is possible. Wait, people people laugh. We were laughing at you on the show. We were like, "There's no way he's gonna. Uh, there's no way he's gonna come." And uh, you were like, "It's possible. It's possible. It's possible." And you were right, hundred percent right. Because we, as Raptors fans, have been conditioned throughout our entire fanhood to not believe that we could have nice things, and now here we are. So this opens the door to be able to say, "Why not? Why can't we make these aggressive moves?" Because if there's one thing that I've, I think Masai has learned as a result of all these years of failure with the same squad is you can't have the same squad twice if it didn't work the first time right so if this doesn't work and we don't end up winning the finals which is a very good possibility there's no doubt in my mind that Masai is going to make some tweaks and say we can't trot the same team out and expect different results right because he's already set that precedent yeah and like there's like two directions (laughs) always the Raptors can go in it's either just like break it down or like go more in, go more all in. And he has tried over and over again to try and tear it down. But like there's the good trades aren't there. Like he's, he's tried uh, to make trades to tear it apart. Like with Lowry to, I think it was the Knicks. And then I have heard all these like DeRozan trades where we were trying to get like a lottery pick, uh, this last year for 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 DeRozan, some kind of a package, weren't able to do that. Like it's kind of just fall in the way of like going to to more towards more all in because the good trades to like go backwards haven't been there. But right. it's, it's you always got to pick that path where it's whether you want to go more all go all in or do you want to tear it down and. If Kawhi leaves, you gotta tear it down. There's like just at that point, there's no there's no option. Uh, but if he stays, I think you you owe it to him um, to push. Uh, yeah, like Masai. I think from the beginning, um, he said that it's his goal to bring a title to Toronto. Um, and I think at the time, like I thought, oh, this is just like. PR speak like like I don't read anything into this but you know he's trying he's making he's making the moves like he hasn't made like a like bad trades uh you know some some signings haven't worked out but they haven't been like disastrous where we have to like eat someone horrible to get them off the books or something so like he, the Maasai is like the, the real hero in all of this. That like he's just been super savvy, uh, keeping this team alive. When like year after year, it's like the we hear the like Kevin O'Connor, oh the Raptors have to blow it up. Like every year he has that article, um, and we defy all the odds. 
I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting. I, you're right. A lot of implications are riding on not just this game, but the longevity of uh, the series to follow if they make it that far. So, I don't know. There's a, this The whole identity of the Toronto Raptors could shift once again in a more positive way or a complete rebuild type of way. So, uh, I, there's a lot to anticipate. But having said that, we'll wrap it up here. You know the deal. You mentioned your podcast on the jump of the show. You can promote that where people can find you on Twitter and your Wild Cherry Pepsi that you've been enjoying all the show. Go for it, man. Floor is yours. As usual, I'm not going to promote anything. I just want to wish a happy birthday to Gerard Mixon. He is Weensy from old school. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen that movie, there's this one scene that's incredible with him in it. Um, watch that movie. Happy birthday. <laughs> What a way to end it. All right, man. Enjoy game six, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors.